Radio. This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Rappaport to the Rescue with award-winning animal advocate Jill Rappaport. Hi, welcome to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Jill Rappaport, and we are very excited about our show today, kicking off with a teenager that will truly blow your mind. Sophie Grace is a 17-year-old Emmy Award-winning actor. She starred for two seasons on the smash Netflix show, The Babysitter's Club, and she was just 15 when she won that Emmy Award for Outstanding Younger Performer in a Children's Program. She's given a TED Talk. She's the first teen ambassador for the Halo Foundation Club. Now, Halo is a really cool organization that helps at-risk and homeless youth around the world while inspiring kids through art. And the connection here, she has an adorable rescue dog named Julep, and she's also been so passionate about riding and her love for horses since she was six years old. And that brings us together for a very special campaign. We are both featured in the new Seen Through Horses campaign. So we're already bonded through our intense love of animals. Sophie, it is so great to have you on Rappaport to the Rescue. (laughs) Thank you. I'm looking at you with your baseball cap. Tell us what your baseball cap says. It says just a girl who loves horses because I'm just a girl who loves horses. And all animals like me. (laughs) Yes, that's very true. And I know you have a rescue dog. Tell us about Julep, an adorable name, by the way. Julep is like a little ball of energy. She is just the happiest, cutest dog you'll ever meet. She was a hunting dog that was dumped somewhere in Alabama after the hunting season was over, which is, it's just heartbreaking to think that someone could ever not want her because she is the light of my life. And she's just something that I wake up to in the morning and it just puts a smile on my face. And she smiles too, which is adorable. Tell me about your love of animals and when it began. So when I was a kid, I remember watching Snow White and it was my mom's favorite movie. And naturally you think your mom is the coolest person ever when you're a little girl. And Snow White could literally go out into the woods and talk to animals. And I just thought, I was like, that's what makes you a princess. That's the common theme in being a princess. And so I would go outside and I would hunt for snails and and worms like any kid would, but it just grew to be so much more than that. Every time I met an animal, I would just feel this overwhelming compassion for it like as we do as humans it's like you are a life and you are valuable and it's just finding love in such simple things like that it just brings your life a lot more pleasure and it I think it makes a better quality of life and there's something very healing about loving animals absolutely they're the best therapy in the world although when some are a little loud hey Oscar <laughs> stop interrupting my podcast Oscar's my vocal rescue. The other two are downstairs, mellow as can be, but not little Oscar. No, but it's really amazing because the love starts when you're born, really. It really does. I think everyone deep down has a very big love for animals, but there are certain people in the world that it just grew bigger inside of them than the rest. And I think we are those people. (laughs) And Julep is your best friend. Tell me about your love of horses, which I believe began when you were six years old. Yeah, my mom kind of raised me as kind of a city rat, but we lived in Pennsylvania, which is, it's very bipolar. It's either city or farm. And 
my mom had all my siblings and I try all the sports and I just could not find something I liked, which is a lot of the reason why I got into acting. And I was good at things, but I didn't love it. So she put me in horseback riding on a whim because she just heard about it. And I do love animals. And I just absolutely fell in love with horses. They're just so healing and so beautiful. And you can build such a strong connection with such a big creature. And it, like, it just reminds you that you are on earth just to give out love and to receive it back. It's just a good energy exchange, I guess. Absolutely. Not happy, but I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I always say, I wish my horses could live in the house. That's how much I love mine. You know what? Having a, an in-house horse would probably be my dream come true. I'm sure we could get <laughs> some big doors. <laughs> exactly. Was there one horse in your life that truly left an indelible mark on you? There was. He was a gray speckled horse. And I remember his mane was so shiny. It looked like silver tinsel. And I would take the classes all year and I would take the summer camps and I would enter myself into all these competitions. And every single time it was always rocky in me. And I was going through a very hard time with some other things going on in my life. And it was a lot for such a young girl to deal with. And a lot of it did have some mental health effects on me. But when I would go riding, I mind you, I was like six to 10 in this time, actually six to 11, 12. It was just such an escape. It was such a distraction because it was so much joy flowing through my life. And I just really loved where I was. Wow, Rocky was certainly so important to you. Now, Sophie, you come from a huge family. You're one of six kids? I am one of six kids. So wow. it is it is a swarm to find your identity in all that personality. <laughs> and animals is a big part of that for me. Are you the only actor in the family? I am. Everyone else is an athlete or a brainiac. And I am kind of a brainiac myself, but more so in the emotional study sense. <laughs> Well, you know, you started your career quite young. I mean, you winning an Emmy at 15. How incredible is that? It doesn't feel real. It never will. <laughs> so coming off a hit show like that, The Babysitter's Club, which was on Netflix, are you a little jaded for what you do next? Well, it did make a lot of things really different. And it did come, there's two sides to every coin, but I would take that coin over any other coin because... I really do love the life that I was able to build for myself from that. And I know starting from such a young age, it might not seem like it would be a lot of work. It seems like it came so easy to me because it really did land in my lap, but it is a lot of work. And I'm not necessarily jaded because I do have this undying hope <laughs> within me for some reason. But I wanted to take some time to really grow up and to really get to be a kid. And I think I've gotten to do that very well. And I, I really just want to help people. And I've been able to do that with Halo. And now that I found this, I'm able to help animals. And I really feel like I'm contributing what I want to contribute. And when you talk about this, you're talking about this wonderful horse campaign. Yes. That's kicking off today, May 1st, called Seen Through Horses, that we're both involved in. Tell me about that and how you got involved. Well, this beautiful, wonderful woman named Chantel that my mother and I met in a coffee shop has absolutely changed my life, absolutely brought me to everything I really wanted to do with my title as an actor. You know, it gives you a sense of a platform, especially on social media. And I want to be able to share that when you're a kid, you can do big things. And this program in specific, this horse campaign, is a way to help 
push the the idea that horses do help mental health and you can seek out so much therapy and so much healing through horses and there are so many campaigns and and nonprofits and and charities that all revolve around horses and i think it's it's a really cool thing to like spread the word about and not only that i mean i was so honored to be featured and in full disclosure that woman that you're singing the praises of chantal <laughs> Klinger, i have a very special relationship with her because the time i got to be on oprah chantal was my producer <laughs> so we go back those years and that was to me the most amazing experience in my career to be sitting next to oprah and do you know a, story that is a pretty on, cool one yeah on animal rescue and chantal was my producer she did the most amazing job and she came to me with this campaign and actually it was singing your praises and i thought i gotta get that girl on my podcast <laughs> looking at you knowing what you've already accomplished in your 17 young years what is it that you would also like to do? We know how philanthropic you obviously are. We know your love of rescued animals and all animals. What about your career? What are your goals? Well, I've always been very, very independent. And I think that there's a lot I want to do. I have a very eclectic way about me. But acting in just the film world has always drawn me to it, whether it's directing, writing, producing anything to do with it because it's such a way to tell a beautiful story in so many different ways and you could take the same script and make a million different movies out of it just through perspective and I think there's something so special and so human about that. Do you have any exciting projects on the horizon you can tell us about? <laughs> nothing that I can nothing that I can really talk about nothing coming very soon in the works you still want to pursue acting, right? Yes, I do still want to be an actor. That's just been my dream since I was a little girl. I guess I am still a little girl full of dreams, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But once you've achieved the level of success at such a young age, I mean, how has your life changed? Well, I did grow up very fast because I had a very adult job at 11 years old. And you're kind of, I'm not saying that it was bad in any sense. I'm not going to complain about it because it was life-changing and a dream come true. But it does age you and it does mature you in a way that other kids didn't necessarily ever get to live. Right. So it gives you a feeling of just being a little bit off, a little different. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about animals is because that's just universal and it's just pure love and there is no judgment of oh that's the girl that was on Netflix right right because I'm sure when you walk down the halls in high school you know people think these crazy things of me they right. really do did you experience kind of like a mean girl thing where you know classmates were jealous or were they sucking up to you because you're Sophie Grace <laughs> I think I experienced a very deluded version of both of those, but never in a way that I really was able to let affect me, not in an egotistical way, but in an emotionally intelligent way to where I know we're all human beings. This is all our first time consciously living right. and we all do things and we all don't do things and that's okay. And everyone has a different passion and a different path. And if everyone thought the same way and thought the same things were cool, then nothing would be cool anymore. And I like what I like, and that's okay. How about your five siblings? How did they treat you in terms of once you achieved all the success in your career? Was it a little different around the house? 
Yeah, I actually, I do still have to make my bed and I do still have to go out into the backyard with little trash bags in my hands to clean up the, the dog residue. However, it, it was a little different and I think it was really cool because my little brothers kind of thought I was cool for something and I can't throw a curveball or like do anything else that they like to do. So it was cool for that and it's always it's always great to get that. That was cool of you from your older siblings because you want to be just like them. So I think when you accomplish something and the people that, because my whole family, very successful, like all my siblings were prodigies. So it was a lot to live up to. Even my younger siblings were accomplishing things that I was like, hold up, I'm 10, you know? (laughs) So I kind of overshot it a little bit, but I think it landed pretty well. I think you've done very well. And it was a pleasure being able to meet you and talk with you. Continued success. And please continue on your mission of the heart, which is helping animals in need. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for having me on your amazing show. Oh, well, we're thrilled to have you. And when we come back, we have another amazing guest. I have to say that this woman is probably one of the most special veterinarians that I have ever met. She has truly not only saved countless lives, but she is a therapist and a best friend to all of the pet parents who have to go through very sad and scary things with their pets. This woman is one in a million, Dr. Joyce Obradovich, when we come back. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life, and that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Welcome back to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Jill Rappaport, and my next guest is truly an angel. I can tell you firsthand, I have never met a person like this who happens to be a vet. And for years, (laughs) I have been having a wonderful relationship with Dr. Joyce Obradovich, the president and veterinary oncologist at Animal Cancer and Imaging Center in Canton, Michigan. Joyce, I am so happy to have you here. (laughs) I said in my intro before we went to a commercial break, I've never met a vet like you. You put this B in compassionate. You put the B in the best bedside manner. (laughs) And when our animals are sick, We need someone like you more than ever. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's very sweet of you to say. Well, you're truly amazing. And I wanted to have you on the show for so long. You know, this is a show. Oh, there goes Oscar again. He's a big fan too, because you helped save him. I wanted to talk about what is going on with 
the latest cures. You know, so many of yeah. us sadly have experienced our animals going through cancer and sadly losing our animals due to this dreaded disease. And this is what you see day in and day out. And people will bring their pets from all over the world to see you. Yeah. And if there's any hope, you're the answer. <laughs> so are we making any breakthroughs, any good news, Joyce, that we can look forward to for our fur? Absolutely. When I look back over the last 30 years that I've been doing this, we've made great strides since then. And I think it's always shocking to people. Every client that I see, they're, they're surprised that pets get cancer, which always amazes me. And what they don't realize is that dogs get cancer at the rate at least the same, if not close to double that of people. So as a dog, you are just as likely, if not more likely than a person to develop cancer in your lifetime. And they've looked at different statistics. There's all kinds of studies out there, but we do know that one in four pets will die of cancer. That's a huge number when you consider the population. And 50% of dogs over 10 will die of cancer or gets cancer at some point in their lifetime. And I think people automatically equate it with a death sentence. Cancer equals death. And that's just not the case. Probably over half of what we see can be cured. And in other cases, patients can have good quality of life, extension of life. And I think that there's so much that's changing now because people are recognizing this more. They're seeking treatment for the pets. And so that's where the positive advancements are being made is just an increase in awareness. But relative to, you know, many of the very, very aggressive cancers, we may not have made great strides, but we are moving in the right direction just because we're treating more, becoming more successful. And there's newer therapies that are being used right now that I think have great promise. Just about everything that we can do for people, we can do for our pets. That is such great news. What yeah. are the cancers if there are more than one? And I'm hoping that you're seeing the greatest improvement. I would have to say that there's improvement across the board with different cancers because we're looking at therapies now that are called targeted therapies. So rather than traditional chemotherapy, which is toxic to the DNA of the cell and kills it that way, we're looking at ways to change what they call the tumor microenvironment. And so to do that, we use medications that target certain receptors, for example, certain growth factors in tumors that you can turn off some of the growth with using these newer targeted therapies. It's more commonly known as precision therapy. So for example, we do DNA analysis of a patient's particular tumor. So you can look to determine, are there specific mutations or changes in that patient for which there could be a targeted therapy? And so I think this is really moving towards the future. We're seeing, um, we're doing a lot of this. There is a company actually called Phytocure that we work with extensively that whose main purpose is to identify these more precision therapies. They tend to be more personal to the pet's cancer. They also tend to surprisingly have lower toxicity levels. So I think that's one of the big areas that we're making strides. Every minute, you know, you're hearing, if you're not experiencing it yourself with pets, you're hearing about the percentages of cancer. Is it the environment, Joyce? What is going on here? That's the billion dollar question. I think it has to play a role, but I think it's multiple things. I think it's a combination. The food we feed? Yes, yeah, probably a lot. The, the food we feed, the environment that we walk our dogs in. You think about what's the reason dogs get so much cancer. It can be partially genetic, partially environmental. Some trigger is getting turned on that we don't even understand fully. We've looked at 
different types of tumors, for example, bladder tumors in Scottish Terriers, where they've shown certain lawn chemicals to increase the incidence. So I think it's a combination of environment and genetics as well. And what about these designer dogs? All of a sudden, the influx of the doodle. Well, it's scary to me because I don't want to overspeak it because you get impressions of things and they may not statistically be significant. But we do see what I'm seeing in my practice is some of the designer breeds, which are wonderful combinations of great personality traits that they combine in dogs and they're beautiful dogs. It's just that we're seeing cancer in them at a younger age. And this could, again, I can't statistically prove it. It's what I tend to see that and it makes me nervous. It's not all of them, but certain ones are, they just seem like we're seeing cancers at a younger age. So whether or not that will prove to be true, we have to wait and see. Wow. That, that's scary because everybody's into the doodles and everybody's trying to find one in rescue and they're scarce. Exactly. Although now yeah. it's more because we have an influx of animals back in the shelter system and you really can find anything. But you know, years ago, you always heard about the high rate of cancer and golden retrievers and boxers. Dachshunds were supposed to be low. They have their back issues. But can we at least feel better about prognosis? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very simple, actually, when you think just like in people, if you diagnose a tumor earlier on, you're going to have a better success rate, no matter how aggressive the tumors are. And people are much more in tune to the fact that number one, pets get cancer. And number two, that they can actually seek treatment, especially at earlier phases and, and really help them. So earlier detection, aggressive treatment early on, and I don't mean aggressive against the patient, I mean aggressive against the tumor. Because our primary goal with all of this is to maintain a normal quality of life for them. I know. And that is your number one thing, because my listeners should just understand that I have gone to you, Joyce, if you could look at my roster, <laughs> my length of text messages to you, going back, see Oscar's chiming in. He's saying, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> help me too. But I first met Joyce when I reached out to you for my sister's cat that had leukemia. And then Sadly, after I had a dog with a very aggressive form of cancer, and you helped me tremendously, you actually extended PD's life by six months. And then even with Oscar Meyer, he had a little <laughs> growth on his foot, and it was in the height of COVID. And this woman is so unbelievable. You actually sent me slides where I just had to press <laughs> very lightly on his little you know, back pad and get a little sample of fluid. And then I sent it to you and <laughs> you were able to tell me based on that slide that you thought it was okay. And that was three years ago. Yeah. yeah. How amazing you are. You put my mind at ease because you couldn't even get into a vet then. And if you did, you were waiting yeah. in the car and Oscar, as you know, cannot go into a car, you know, yeah. we had an emergency, but he hadn't been in a car in eight years. So that's what you've done for me. And you see cancer day in and day out. You see people looking at you, hoping and putting everything in your hands. What is that pressure like for you? Well, it's terrible and it's wonderful at the same time. So it's a very stressful specialty to be in, but there's so much good that we do. People say, how can you do this? There's so much sadness, but Yes, there are times that I have to tell an owner that there's nothing that I can do. And so we focus on quality of life issues. And just that aspect of it makes them feel more comforted that they're doing everything that we can. But as far as the joys that come along with this, we see patients that come into us for a variety of reasons. And every owner is different in their desires and expectations. Everybody wants to cure everything. And we know we can't do it. But we'll have the 
you know, the client that has a beautiful dog that they were told that their primary care veterinarian is cancer. There's not a lot we can do, but go see the oncologist just to see. Then that patient comes in really depressed, really sad, thinking that they're going to lose their dog. And I look at it and see, well, wait a second. This is a tumor that has a median survival of over three years with fairly minimal treatment. So there's always things that we can do to support them. And and those are the happy cases because we're, you know, we we're helping that. them. We, yeah, we live for that. And so that reward, you know, probably shadows a lot of the sadness too. But then for some people, we'll have example, an elderly man came in a couple weeks ago and the patient had a poor prognosis, but this was his wife's dog who had just, the wife had just died and he wanted to do everything he could for that pet. And so we were able to extend his life by, you know, our hopes are extending his life by maybe four to six months. Now, some people would look at that and say, well, I'm not going to go through all that for just four to six months. But that meant everything to that man. So everybody has different goals and requirements for what we can achieve for them. Again, you go above and beyond because this is not an inexpensive process when an animal is diagnosed. And how many people have insurance and how many insurance companies cover these procedures? So when you're dealing with the cost of treating an animal for cancer, it is daunting. It is daunting and people don't realize that the majority of drugs that we use and treatments we use are basically from human medicine. So we know that it's not cheap for people Well, we're using the same manufacturers, the same drugs and the same costs. And it's, it can be daunting. And I would have to say that probably, sadly, less than 5% of the pets in my practice have any kind of health insurance. What tends to happen is they come to us, they're faced with, uh, you know, these daunting expenses. So their next pet that they get, they make sure they have insurance. But the ones that we deal with, it's actually very, very uncommon for them. And I wish they would do more of that. But we don't see that high of a percentage until something like this happens, then their next pet, they'll go and make sure that they're covered. So, And you have done amazing things for these people because you have made allowances financially for so yeah, many of your patients. I have, yeah. Parents. I know. I mean, my focus in getting into this from the very beginning was never about becoming rich. And you won't do that. You know, being a veterinary oncologist, people think, oh, you make so much money because these costs are so high. Trust me, the cost of doing what we do is extremely high and the profit margin is very low. But at the same time, newer drugs that are being developed for veterinary patients, sadly, they're not that much cheaper either. So we don't really have good price breaks for a lot of this. And We've tried through the years. I, you know, I try to to make my pricing as affordable as I possibly can within reason for clients. We have a foundation in our practice that we try to help people that can't afford it. So we do everything we can, but you know, unfortunately there's a limit to what we can do based on the expense of some of these treatments. But I know you have sacrificed a lot. I don't think my accountant likes me very much for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joyce, you are truly, as I said from the very beginning, amazing. Is there one thing we can look forward to that you're the most excited about? Well, I would have to say the most excitement is being able to get our message out. I know it sounds very trite, but if your veterinarian doesn't give you a lot of hope when they see a diagnosis of cancer, at least ask for a referral. It doesn't hurt to talk to a specialist to get an opinion about what's going on. And maybe there truly isn't anything we can do, but we have so many of these patients that are grateful that they've come at least talk with us and had lymphoma dogs, for example, that live many years beyond what the expectations are. So I would say early detection, seek the information 
information and knowledge and, you know, as best as they can for their pet, be a good advocate like you are, Jill. And thank you again for being the amazing vet that you are. And Oscar's chiming in because he totally agrees. Very informative. Really, we really appreciate it. And it gives us hope. And that's what it's all about. Right, Joyce? Exactly. Exactly. Thanks so much for having me. You are so welcome. And what an informative and important edition of Rappaport to the Rescue. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.